right, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them. Turn to Psalm chapter 23. As you're finding Psalm 23, I want you to go to Luke 24 as well. And uh, just keep your hand there. We'll look at that here in just a moment. It is Thanksgiving week. And I hope all of you have a wonderful time with your family and friends this week. For those of you traveling, hope that you have safe travels. I know that when Debbie and I and our family gather around the Thanksgiving table, we will give thanks. And one of the major blessings of God that we'll give thanks for is you, Champion Forest. We love you, our faith family, and uh, just so grateful for you. I love this time of year. Love all of the traditions associated with it. Uh, from the food that we eat, to the football that we watch together, to the massive naps that will be taken on Thursday afternoon after the Cowboys lose. It will be wonderful, all right? (laughs) Uh, Of course, now one of the highlights, depending on the topics that are covered, is the conversation that takes place around the Thanksgiving table. And if you don't know where to start, I pulled a list of topics just to help you with this. Uh, These are topics to discuss over a Thanksgiving meal. This is written by a college student from Miami, okay? And full disclosure, he's writing to other college students, and he is a humor editor, to be fair. But here's his list of topics that he suggests to bring up and what he says in order to have the most entertaining conversation and most memorable Thanksgiving ever. Topic number one that you have to bring up is politics. He said, instead of discussing what you're thankful for with your family, you should discuss hot button issues in politics. When your liberal gender studies major cousin and conservative gun-wielding uncle start debating who the next president will be, Tensions will be flaring and entertainment will be at an all-time high. Let the show begin. (laughs) Number two, bring up marriage. Be sure to tell great-grandma Shirley that your 24-year-old cousin Danny still isn't married. Back in her day, she had a husband serving in World War I by 17, had six kids by the time she was 21, all the while working in a factory while kids were at school. So the fact that your cousin is not married at 24 is actually preposterous to her. (laughs) Number three, bring up real jobs. Even though your little brother James just graduated from college and has a job of picking up balls at the golf range, That is not a real job. According to the rest of the family, he should have life completely figured out by now. When we were his age, or they were his age, they had nine to five jobs at the bank or the office with a 401k and a healthcare plan set up. Make sure everyone knows that little brother James does not have a real job yet. And then fourth and finally, topic you should bring up. Make sure to discuss your view on tattoos and piercings. (laughs) Talk about getting a tattoo, the desire for multiple tattoos or a new piercing. Your great grandpa may ask what gang you're in. Your grandmother might pass out, your mom will get angry and your dad may stop paying for college but it will definitely get the conversation going, all right? (laughs) Topics to discuss at Thanksgiving. Let me give you some pastoral wisdom here. Don't do any of that, okay? Uh, Make it your ambition to have the most boring Thanksgiving ever. Uh, Now, talk about conversation. One conversation that I find in the Bible that's always intrigued me. I mean, that I wish 
I could have sat in on, listened to, is found in Luke chapter 24. You're probably familiar with the story if you've been in church for any amount of time. Jesus is raised from the dead and he is walking with two of his followers down what was called the road to Emmaus. And I want to pick up in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. The Bible says this, that very day, the day of the resurrection, two of them were going to the village named uh, Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. They were talking about Jesus being put to death. They were talking about this news of his resurrection. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus is walking along and he asked them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Now just think about that. Jesus is getting the inside scoop from these disciples that can't wrap their mind around what's going on. And so they're walking along and They essentially say to Jesus, are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard that we thought Israel's Messiah was here and the chief priest put him to death and now this group that we travel with is saying that he was raised from the dead. They saw it in a vision of angels. And Jesus, in verse number 25, interrupts the conversation and he said to them, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then look at verse 27 because this sets up the thread where all of the Bible points to Jesus. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, what a conversation to be a part of. Jesus essentially takes these two men on a Bible study, if you will, through the Old Testament, and he shows them exactly what we're talking about in this series. He is the thread that beginning with Moses and the prophets, all of the scripture points to him. It is his story. And I bet just like in our series, he took them to Genesis chapter 3, pointed out the first gospel that we talked about a few weeks ago, and then he went on to Genesis 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac being the promised child that is about to be put to death, and God provides a substitute. Mark Lanier preached on that in week two. I bet Jesus pointed out that story. I bet he came back and pointed out Exodus chapter 12, like Pastor Scott Riling did last week, talked about the Passover event and highlighted all of the ways that this event that this meal is actually revealed in him what a conversation it must have been I bet if we were there I bet if we were there listening to Jesus do this we would have said exactly what they said in verse 32 of Luke 24 they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures Jesus has the same type of conversation with his disciples later on in the day look at verses 44 and 45 And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. In pictures and in people and symbols and in scenarios, if we will just look 
And God, by his grace, will open up our mind. We will find Jesus. And today, we're going to see Jesus in the Psalms as, and this is the title of the message today, we will see him as the good shepherd. Now, Psalm 23 is the most beloved and probably the most well-known psalm ever penned. This is a psalm that has no doubt been preached in pulpits. You've heard it uh, recited at funerals. It has been given on battlefields. If there was ever a text that we as a church should read together and take in, this is it. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand up where you are. We're going to read Psalm 23 in unison together. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'm reading from the ESV, and that will be on the screen for you as I read. And so we're going to read together Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this, repeat it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Now David wrote this psalm and he knew more than a little about shepherding. In fact, his entire life and calling revolved around being a shepherd. And as I see it, there are three main responsibilities of a shepherd that we see in this passage. A good shepherd will take care of the sheep by providing for their needs, that's provision. A good shepherd will take responsibility for guiding the sheep safely and gently along life's path, that's direction. And then finally, a good shepherd will work to keep their sheep from any kind of danger. That is protection. And so very quickly, let's look at Scripture. And as we pull these out one by one, I think you're going to see a beautiful picture of the heart of our shepherd Jesus being displayed here in Psalm 23. First, we're going to see the good shepherd's provision. Verse 1 of Psalm 23 said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As the shepherd, it is God's responsibility to provide for the needs of the sheep. And I want you to notice the tender personal care. The psalmist writes, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal here. The shepherd has ownership. And therefore, he takes responsibility for the welfare of the sheep. And we see in verse 2 and 3, the sheep will lack nothing. We see in verse 2 and 3 how he will provide for the sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Green pastures represent rest and comfort. And the Bible says God makes me. It could be read, he causes me to lie down in those pastures. It's something that sheep would never do on their own. If you've heard a passage on Psalm 23 or relating uh, to sheep, you know that they're not the brightest of animals. They're not the most wise animal on the planet. And this is why the Bible says that God makes them lie down, causes them to lie down in green pastures because in and of themselves, they never would. They'd lie down in thorns and thistles if it was up to them. They'd, they'd make their bed in a, in a wolf's den if it was up 
to them, left on their own. I've recently on social media seen a couple of things about sheep. I saw this one just this week, uh, knowing that I was preaching on this passage. I couldn't believe it. This is happening over in China. You'll see it on the screen right here. Nobody can figure it out for two weeks now. It continues for two weeks. This group of sheep just been walking in a circle. And it's like the talk of China. Uh, it's all over the place. People are coming from the world to see why are these sheep day and night just walking in a circle. Next uh, social media clip I saw, you may have seen this one. Uh, it's of a sheep that's stuck in a ditch. So the little shepherd boy pulls this, she- this sheep out of the ditch, rescues him. You know, the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. This is what we do. We go right back in the ditch, all right? <laughs> Proof, proof that sheep need a shepherd. They need a shepherd that will provide for them. Again, green pastures represent rest and comfort, still waters, represent security and refreshment. He restores my soul, literally means he turns me back. Isn't it true in life? We're like that last sheep, man. We get out of a ditch and we jump right back in another one. And we need to be turned back to the Lord. And the Bible says here, God is our good shepherd and he turns us back to himself. He restores us back to himself. Jesus would tell a a parable in Luke chapter 15 of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one sheep wanders off and gets lost. And that good shepherd, he leaves 99 sheep and he goes in search for that one lost sheep. Now, why would he do that? It's because of ownership. It's his sheep. And so the shepherd takes responsibility to provide for that sheep. But it's not just provision, it's guidance as well. I want you to note the good shepherd's direction. Look at the second part of verse three in Psalm 23. He leads me, he guides me, he directs me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Uh, God leads us. The Bible says, along paths of righteousness, God will always lead you in the right way. Students, you hear me on this? God will never lead you astray. He will always lead you down right paths, righteous paths. Now, sometimes that path will be dark, it'll be narrow. Psalmist calls this the valley of the shadow. Just as David, as a shepherd, had led and guided his sheep, oftentimes through valleys in order to get them to better water sources or to higher ground, David's looking at his life. And he says, God, just like I've led my sheep in dark nights, you've led me. I mean, think about David's life. King Saul chased him down, pursued him, wanted him dead. He had to hide out in caves. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murder with Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, David went through a, a valley of despair. It's a dark valley, depression. He lost his newborn son, had to bury his infant son. It's a dark night. Later on in life, his own son Absalom wanted to run him out of town and 
take his position as king of Israel? David knew about dark nights. David knew about valleys. This is what valleys are. They're dramatic darkness, the extreme danger. And the point that David is making here is that even as I walk through the valley of the shadow, the shepherd has never, ever left me. Always been there for me. This is our God. I mean, this may be the word that you need on this Thanksgiving week. You came here invited by a friend or maybe you're new to the area and you're just checking out church and you're wondering, God, why am I even here this morning? It could be just so that you could hear this word right here. Maybe you're going through a dark place and spiritually speaking, you can't see your hand in front of you. It's that dark. I just want you to know, according to the testimony of Scripture, that God, our good shepherd, is there to lead you through. This past week, I had made plans on Wednesday to go up to Dallas to visit some friends of ours who they met in our young singles ministry back when I was the young singles minister at our church in Dallas. I had a part in their marriage and they've been friends. They've actually been to Champion Forest and worshiped with us. And the mother of this family, the friend of ours, 46 years old, has been battling cancer since 2015. And I was gonna go up there to pay my last respects. We knew uh, that her passing was imminent. I got a text that morning at 2.15 in the morning that she had entered into eternity. And so I was already planning on going up there and drove up there. They have Thomas and Sarah Bexley are their names. They have two children. One is in high school, the other in elementary school. My heart just broke for them and was able to just sit there and, you know, I couldn't offer up anything other than the ministry of presence. But it's a sweet family that's walking through the valley of the shadow. And this Thanksgiving is going to be a, a first for them. You know, we think, talk, think about the holidays, we talk about the holidays, the sights and sounds of the season and the fun and the joy that we have, but it's a reality for so very many that the holidays are a tough time. Some of you listening to me right now are gonna experience your first this Thanksgiving. There's gonna be an empty place at the table. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. How do you, as a sheep, Keep going when you can't see in front of you. When the future's uncertain, you know what you do? Keep your eyes on the shepherd. You keep listening to his voice. Jesus would say later that my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And you let his presence comfort you. This is why David said, when I walk through the valley of the shadow, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. It's the greatest promise in all of the Bible that no matter what you're going through, no matter how dark the night, the good shepherd is always there. He'll never leave you. Never. Never. He's with you. And this speaks of the shepherd's protection. You see in the last part of verse four, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was a club-like instrument, think almost like a uh, police officer's club. Uh, a, an animal would come to prey on the sheep and the shepherd's responsibility is take that club and do business with that club. 
the staff, you've seen a shepherd's staff before, a little crook on the end. If a, if a sheep got out of the fold, that shepherd could just take that staff, turn around, and just with that crook, bring that sheep right back into the fold. And so these are instruments of divine protection with one we protect from the outside, with one from the inside. And the psalmist says, they, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This speaks of celebration and honor. And when you see a table in scripture, you prepare a table before me, think party, think, think thanksgiving. What God's saying is, listen, we have enemy, we have an enemy coming against us. The, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have enemies that sometimes encircle us. Unfavorable situations and circumstances in life. But as they surround us, at the very same time, the good shepherd is taking care of us. He's celebrating us. He's cherishing us. He is satisfying us fully and completely with good. He anoints our head with oil. Shepherds would take that oil and put it on sheep and it would keep the flies away. It would heal their wounds quicker. It would allow them to rest easily and comfortably. This is how the good shepherd protects his sheep, our safety, our security, our well-being. It's a priority to the good shepherd. The shepherd's not out to get us. The shepherd's out to protect us. Look at verse six. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. Don't miss that. Good days and bad days, God's mercy in Christ, in Christ, is there for you. Birthdays and doomsdays, God's mercy and goodness following you all the days of your life in times of famine, times of feasting. Goodness and mercy. God, our good shepherd, he's out to provide, to direct, to protect, and he tried to show his people in the Old Testament, he tried to show his people this over and over and over again. Genesis chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 40, he mentions that I am your shepherd. Follow me, I'm the shepherd of Israel. But what happened? Israel over and over and over rejected his leadership. And so you know what God would do? He would send prophets and priests and kings as under shepherds if you will to represent him and the people didn't want to follow them either and then over the course of time the under shepherds themselves the ones who were supposed to be providing for the sheep and protecting the sheep and looking after the sheep they begin to live only for themselves so much so that it brings a stern rebuke from the Lord just look at Ezekiel chapter 34 Ezekiel chapter 34 Starting in verse 1, God has a word for those that were called to shepherd Israel, to care and provide and protect them and guide them, and they weren't faithful. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1, the, Lord of the, uh, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus saith the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, 
and with force and harshness, you have ruled them. And skip down to verse 10, look at what God says. Therefore, shepherds, you hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. Strong words for those who were called to represent God but didn't look after the people, only looked after themselves. Took advantage of the ones they were supposed to lovingly lead and care for. Now in this context, he's speaking about the prophets and priests and kings of Israel. The New Testament would refer to pastors as shepherds. And we're told to shepherd the flock of God willingly, not strong-handedly. And the call for pastors today is to care for sheep, to be faithful, to love and serve and guide and protect, not to be faithless, not to take advantage of the sheep. In the midst of all of this in Ezekiel, this is what's so beautiful is Jesus is about to take Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34 and he's gonna put them together because God makes a promise in Ezekiel 34. And you can read it in your own time alone with the Lord. We don't have much time to go into it, but you look at verses 11 through 16. Verse 11 says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I'll seek them out. He basically says, I'm gonna shepherd Israel. There's gonna be a divine shepherd and I'm it. And it culminates in verses 23 and 24. It's a messianic promise. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And so what is happening here is God is promising that there's a Davidic-like shepherd coming. One who will descend from the line of David and he will properly shepherd God's people. And so notice what this text speaks of. It speaks of a divine shepherd. It speaks of a human shepherd coming from the line of David. Who is this divine human shepherd that is going to look after the sheep and properly provide for them and guide them and protect them. We know exactly who this good shepherd is. It is Jesus. So clear to anyone who desires to see it. Jesus in John's gospel, speaking to a group of people, he says it outright. As I read this in John chapter 10 and we bring this message to a close, I want you to think about the shepherd's responsibilities that we talked about today. Provision, direction, protection, and see if this doesn't Come off the page describing the work and ministry of Jesus from the words of his mouth. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, see the ownership there? He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See, Jesus wasn't in it for himself. He's the good shepherd, always looking after the sheep. That's what he says a second time. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they, my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. He's speaking of Jews and Gentiles coming together to make one flock. And that's what he says. There'll be one flock 
and one shepherd, one human divine shepherd. And then he says for a third time, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And this is exactly what the good shepherd did. He laid his life down. And that's why when we come to the Lord's table and we take of the Lord's Supper, it's why it's so meaningful to us. It's why it's so special. Because when we hold the bread representing his body broken and we hold the cup representing his blood poured out, as we take of this meal, we understand that the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.